0: Well, recently I've been reading the Narnia series with my daughters, with Adelaide. And it's been so fun just to put yourself in the story and try to feel what the characters are feeling. Well, a couple weeks ago we were reading about how Peter was feeling so discouraged because Aslan was not going to go into battle with him. I'll read just an excerpt from the book. During the first part of the journey, Aslan explained to Peter... His plan of campaign as soon as she had finished her business in these parts he said the witch and her crew will almost certainly fall back to her house and prepare for a siege you may or may not be able to cut her off and prevent her from reaching it he then went on to outline two plans of battle one for fighting the witch and her people in the wood and another for assaulting her castle And all the time, he was advising Peter how to conduct the operations. Till at last, Peter said, But you will be there yourself, Aslan. I can give you no promise of that, answered the lion. And he continued giving Peter his instructions. Peter was feeling uncomfortable at the idea of fighting the battle on his own. The news that Aslan might not be there had come as a great shock to him. So Peter had only fought the witch, or he had only fought one time before, and that was with Aslan, and now he's going to have to go into battle against none other than the wicked witch, and Aslan won't be there with him. That's probably a little bit like how the Thessalonians were feeling when Paul and Silas had to leave them when they were just a baby infant church. You'll remember in Acts 17 that Paul and Silas go to preach the gospel in Thessalonica. They had been in Philippi, they had been mistreated there, they were tempted not to preach the gospel in Thessalonica, but God gave them the courage to go anyway, and they preached in the synagogue week in and week out. Some people believed, but there was a large amount of Jews who became very, very jealous at what was happening. So what did they do? They rounded up a bunch of brawlers. They rounded up a big mob. And they searched out for Paul and Silas. They, they wanted to have their necks. They said, these men are teaching things that upset the whole world, saying there is, no, there is another king besides Caesar well, for that time, those are fighting words. There's another king besides Caesar. It was so hostile that they attacked the apostle's host, Jason, who was simply housing the apostle and his entourage, and he was put in prison and had to pay a heavy bail just to get out. So we're talking real hostility. It was so bad that under the cover of darkness, Silas and Paul left town now think about it you're that church the only spiritual father you've ever had the only person you've ever heard the gospel from is now gone and you're left all alone in a hostile environment so when Paul writes for Thessalonians he knows where their hearts are at he knows that they need some strong encouragement He had to leave them, but they needed strong encouragement. And how does he encourage them? How does Paul choose to begin encouraging this church? He does it by thanking God for his work in their life. He gets their minds off of him as an apostle and their sense of need for him. And instead, they point to how God is at work in them. So this morning, what we're going to learn in chapter 1 is we are to encourage others by thanking God for his work in them. Encourage others by thanking God for his work in them, in front of them. Now that's kind of an awkward sentence. Jess and I actually thought of that sentence together trying to get the point of this text. Encourage others by thanking God for his work in them and do it in front of them. In other words, don't just thank God privately for what he's doing in one another's life. Thank God and point out evidences of grace of how you see God at work in one another. And that's how Paul chooses to encourage this church that needed a boatload of encouragement. Let's look at verse 2. Verse 2. We see that Paul encourages the Thessalonians by sharing how consistently and thoroughly thankful he is for God's work in their life. Look at this. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. So he's always praying for the Thessalonians, and he's always thanking God every time he prays for them. Paul's always constantly thankful for the Thessalonians. Now, I know in my own heart, it's easy to only be occasionally thankful for what God's doing at Jubilee. Just occasionally, because it's tempting to get frustrated with weaknesses. It's, it's tempting to get, um, to get bogged down by judging one another. And yet here, we're taught that we need to be continually thankful for what God Is doing among us. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's continually thankful for God's work. Now, he's not only thankful for some of the people in Thessalonica in this church, he's thankful for all of them. Do you see that? We give thanks to God always for all of you. Now, I'm usually thankful for the people who directly benefit me or the people who I like. It's easy to be thankful for those people, but Paul is teaching us we need to be thankful for everyone and all of God's work in the church. It's really easy to despise God's work. We see flaws, we see sin in one another, and it's really easy not to be thankful. We start to complain, we start to murmur, and Paul's giving us such a better example here. We encourage one another through thanking God for the work we see in each other's life. Now, Paul does this throughout the whole book. Look at chapter 2, verse 13. He says, We also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word which you heard from us, You accepted it not as the word of men, but as it really is the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Do you see how Paul's encouraging them? He's encouraging them by thanking God for his work in their life and how they receive the word. Or turn to chapter 3. He continues. Chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. For now we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord, For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? In other words, I don't even have the breath to thank God enough for what he's doing in your life. He is massively moved by God's work in the lives of the Thessalonians. For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your face. So... Jubilee, we need to be on the lookout for evidences of grace in one another and to thank God for it. And to thank God for it, not just personally, but sharing with the person how we're thankful for how God's at work in one another's life. We will be a church that gets bogged down in discouragement if we don't learn this well. And I'm so thankful I'm at Jubilee because honestly, I've been so encouraged by so many of you and the way that you do this. As, as a young guy coming out of seminary, there's a lot I had to learn, and I'm still learning, and I'm still growing, and I, you know, I, I, I have done things very poorly at times, and yet this is a church where instead of pointing out big flaws, there's thanksgiving for God in how he's at work, and that makes all the difference. So Paul shows us how we can encourage others by thanking God for his work in them, in front of them. So think about it. Reflect in your heart. Are you someone who tends to be thankful for God's work, for what he's doing, in those in your missional life group? For those who are in your family? Or do you tend toward criticism? Do you tend to call out the flaws? God is calling us to be thankful and not despise his work in one another. Do we share with people how thankful we are for God's work in their life? I know I do this in marriage not often enough, where I think to myself, I am so thankful for my wife, the way she pours into our kids... And, and I keep it to myself. And then she gets to a place of discouragement. And then at that moment, I choose to share, Honey, I was just thinking of how thankful I am for you. Well, that would have been helpful two days ago. We need to be intentional to thank God for his work in one another in front of one another. My favorite book on parenting is called Parenting with Loving Correction. It's written by Sam Crabtree. I think he does such a good job of understanding how the gospel impacts parenting. But this is what he said. He says, one of the most powerful reflections of God's kindness, generosity, and love will be the consistent affirmation or thanksgiving you give your child. Good correcting must be preceded by lots and lots of good affirmation consistent affirmation from parent to child will gain a hearing so that the parents later correction will be heard isn't that so true we need to point out evidences of grace in one another so when it's time to come alongside each other and say hey I need to talk to you about something I need to confront you about something I see that will actually be heard if the only time you Talk to people about their life and how God's at work in them is when you confront them, it will not be heard. And it's the same in child rearing. Now, Paul is modeling this for us because throughout the epistles, Paul always begins with thanksgiving for what God's doing in the church he's writing to. Now, minus Galatians. He was pretty ticked when he wrote Galatians. But in all the epistles, you see a pattern of God or of Paul giving thanks for God's work in their life before he gets to exhortation. And that's a model for us. We need to be habitually giving thanks to God for his work in one another. So one of our daughters, she's not here, so I can talk about her. She has, this last year, had some struggles obeying, And she tends to be very whiny. And often, I will lose my temper or just let her have it. And God began to work in my heart and help me realize that that's really doing nothing. It's not helping my daughter grow. So Amy and I have been praying for this daughter often and i must say god is answering prayer she she's wanting to obey more she she tends to be extremely lazy <laughs> she comes up with some pretty interesting reasons not to do stuff but now she's wanting to help around the house and it's very evident it's very evident that god is at work in her life so this last week i said constance I am so thankful. Daddy's so thankful. I really see God at work in your life. You're wanting to help Mommy more. When Daddy's telling you something, you want to do it. And I could just tell it went down deep. And she, she lit up. And she had a new desire to be obedient. The power of thanksgiving for God's work in one another's life is what encourages us to keep following Jesus and that's what we see in Paul let's look at verse 3 we see Paul was thankful Paul was thankful specifically for faith love and hope in the lives of the Thessalonians now there's a lot of things we could be thankful for I could be thankful my wife is so beautiful I could be thankful my daughters are so cute but Paul doesn't focus on the external does he Paul was thankful specifically for faith, love, and hope. Look at verse 3. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, faith, love, and hope, those are the vital signs of the Christian life. They give evidence that Jesus is alive and well inside us. They give evidence. That we are alive, spiritually alive. That's why Paul talks about it so often. He talks about faith, love, and hope in Romans 5. He does it in Galatians 5, Ephesians 4, and we all know 1 Corinthians 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Now when you think about vital signs in medicine, essentially they're clinical measurements Uh, including pulse rate, temperature, respiration rate, blood pressure. These These are the things that show us if the essential body functions of a body are working right. And that's why if you're in the hospital and you're finally getting to sleep and your wife just had a baby, they wake you up at 11 p.m. and take your blood pressure. And then you finally just get to sleep and then at midnight they wake you up and they check your vitals again. And then 1 a.m., they, che- they check your vitals. And you're like, give me a break. What are you trying to do? Now, the nurses aren't out in the hallway saying, hey, how can we wake them up with something that's inconsequential? No. They check the vital signs because they are, in fact, vital. They are crucial. <laughs> so that's why they take the vitals so often in the hospital. That's why Paul talks about faith, love, and hope so often is because those are the vital signs of the Christian life. If you want to know if Christ is alive and real in you, then check for faith, hope, and love. Look at chapter 5, verse 8. He starts the book with faith, hope, and love, and then he ends the book with faith, love, and hope. Paul says that faith, love and hope are the qualities that will keep us safe in the battle until Jesus returns. It's part of the armor that we are to put on in preparation to fight the fight of faith until Jesus returns. Look at verse 5 or chapter 5 verse 8. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Do you think these these three qualities are important to Paul? If you want to be ready for Jesus, put on faith, love, and hope. So how do we recognize if other people have faith, love, and hope? How can we recognize faith, love, and hope in one another? I can't look into Cody's heart right now and see faith. I don't know if it's faith or not. I don't know if Jess is hopeful right now just by looking at her. So how can we point out evidences of grace, of internal heart conditions? We have blood pressure monitors, but not hope monitors that go around our arm. Well, look at how Paul describes them. It's a work of faith. Work coming from Faith. Do you see that? A work of faith. So if you want to see if faith is in someone's heart, look at their works. A tree is known by its fruit. Good works flow from faith. James says faith without works is dead. Just like a heart that doesn't produce a pulse is dead. If a dead man has a heart, but it's not beating, it's a dead heart. If a person has faith without works, their faith is dead. So one way we recognize faith in one another is the good works that that faith brings about. How about love? How do we know if someone has genuine love in their hearts? Paul says there will be a labor of love. Love produces labor, toil, sacrificial love for one another. The word labor here in Greek denotes something arduous, wearisome toil involving sweat and fatigue. So love that comes from Jesus that fills our heart is going to express itself in self-sacrificial labor in serving one another. And a steadfastness of hope. Hope results in steadfastness. If you want to know if someone has hope or not... Look at their steadfastness. Are they keeping up in the faith? So these are internal heart qualities, but there are external signs that point to the reality in our hearts. And Paul is showing us that we need to be look- on the lookout for evidences of grace, specifically looking for faith in one another, looking for love, looking for hope, and then calling it out and thanking God for them. So encourage others by thanking God for his work in producing faith, love, and hope in them and do it in front of them. Don't keep it to yourself. Thank God publicly in front of the person for how he is at work. Again, I'll I'll quote Sam Crabtree. This is in a different book called Practicing Affirmation. He says, We help people be shallow... When we focus our compliments or thanksgiving to God on the braiding of hair, the wearing of gold, the putting on of clothing, piercing, and tattoos, such things are external. Rather, let us pay attention to patterns of character that emerge from the work of God going on on inside a person. You know you can influence a person by the way you thank God for them, now, if my daughters came up to me and, and wanted some type of affirmation from their daddy, if I always thank God that they're so beautiful, they would learn that being beautiful is important. In fact, Constance comes up to me about once a week. She puts on a, a princess dress. It's the same princess dress, and she kind of says, Daddy, how do I look? <laughs> and I say, You look beautiful. Beautiful. But I need to train her heart that we need to look for other evidences of grace in her life beyond just her beauty. And so what I'll often say is, honey, I'm so thankful that God made you so pretty. But guess what? I'm even more thankful that yesterday afternoon you obeyed mommy and you wanted to help her make the food. So I'm teaching, I'm discipling her by the way I give thanksgiving for God's work in her life. And that's what Paul does. He doesn't say, Thessalonians, I'm so thankful to God that when I came, you all had some good jobs. And you could pay, you could pay my salary. Or, oh, I'm so thankful, Thessalonians, that you guys were so, so good at you name it. He looked at the internal qualities of what was happening. Let's finish by looking at verses 4 through 10. We see here that Paul thanks God alone because he knew the only commendable attributes in people were given to them by God alone. Paul says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Let's pause there. Now it's very evident from beginning to end it's God who saved the Thessalonians. From beginning to end everything good that has happened in this church has been from God alone. God lovingly chose the Thessalonians before anything else happened in their life. Brothers loved by God we know that he has chosen you. God's love God's choice precedes faith. This is what Martin Luther says. He says, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel. And don't we see that here? It says, Our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. So in other words, if Paul would have preached the gospel in Thessalonica and God wouldn't have been the one at work sending his spirit, they would have not responded. They would have thought it was boring. They would have thought it was inaccurate, foolish. And so it's the work of God alone, which is why Paul chooses to thank God and not just commend the Thessalonians and say, hey, you guys are great. You were really converted well. How did you do that? No, he's giving thanksgiving to God. We also see that it's God's work alone just in the word gospel. Look at, chapter, look at verse 5. Because our gospel came to you not only in word. Well, what is the gospel? It's a good news that Jesus perfectly obeyed the law on our behalf, died to take our punishment that we might live with him that's the gospel so the very message that we are saved by shows that all thanksgiving should go to god alone look at verse one of the first chapter paul silvanus and timothy to the church of god or to the church of the thessalonians In God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The most important thing about this church is that they are in God the Father and united to Jesus Christ. He alone is their righteousness. Their standing is in God alone. The most important thing about this church is that they are in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this leaves no room for boasting. This leaves no room for commending the Thessalonians apart from God and what he's doing in their life. So we want to make sure that when we commend and encourage one another, we do it in ways that point out God is the one at work. That he's the one who's working in us. Paul goes on in verse 5, you know what kind of men For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now you think, Paul could have taken some of the credit, right? I mean, it says here that it it was his godly example that helped bring about the obedience of the Thessalonians. So couldn't Paul said, Thessalonians, I'm so thankful to God and a little bit myself that you are doing so well. But think about it. Who was behind Paul coming to Thessalonica in the first place? Remember the Macedonian call in chapter 16 of Acts? Paul was going to go and preach the gospel in Asia, and it says that the Holy Spirit had forbidden him to do so. So Paul was not on his way to Thessalonica. He was going somewhere else. He was not on, they were not on his mind. Again, it says the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go into Asia. Instead, Paul had a vision in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. That's the whole reason why Paul ended up in Thessalonica, is because God directed him right there. God said, I have people in Thessalonica. I love them. I have chosen them. They are going to hear my gospel So even Paul arriving at Thessalonica is from God. Or look at chapter 2. You'll remember that when Paul was going into Thessalonica, any of us probably would have said, I think I'm going to take a sabbatical. Uh, I just got beat up in Philippi. Um, I'm done. And yet, this is what Paul says. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the the midst of much conflict. So, God not only directed Paul to Thessalonica, when he got there, after having suffered, he gave him the boldness to still preach the gospel even though his human flesh didn't want to. So even Paul's example that led to their salvation and their growth was from God alone. So from beginning to end, it was God. And Paul thanks God for it. So Jubilee... Let us encourage one another by thanking God for his work of transformation in each other's lives. And let's do it in front of one another. Let's, let's go up to each other and say, Grace, I'm so thankful for how you, how I see God at work in you at JYC in loving my daughter. Let's, let's be people who do that. And we will see an unleashing of encouragement in our body. I'll end with a quote. Good affirmations are God-centered, pointing to the image of God in a person. The only commendable attributes in people were given to them. Everything is from God, through God, and to God, so that in all things, including the commendable qualities in people, he might get the glory. Paul's heart was full of praise because of the good news concerning the Thessalonians. But he did not simply congratulate them on the success that had been achieved. He was well aware that the spiritual results evoking his gratitude were due ultimately neither to the preachers nor to the converts. God himself was a real cause of it all. To him belong the thanks. What had been wrought. I love studying this. I love this passage because not only does it show us how we need to be thankful for how God is at work, it also reminds us that God will be at work in 2020 in one another. We We can be confident that God will be so at work in one another that there will be evidences of grace to thank God for. Let's pray.